0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in the book of Exodus. This hour, we are in Exodus 35 and 36. This lesson is for day 45, Tabernacle Construction, February 14th. And the chapters we have to cover are 35 and 36. So only two short chapters, which is good. This is Communion Sunday, and we tend to run out of time on Communion Sundays anyway. So uh, last hour we had uh, chapters 22, uh, 32, 33, 34. We were dealing with the golden calf, the rebellion on the part of the Jewish people at the foot of the mountain while Moses was up on top of the mountain. And we dealt with those issues there. For this hour, we're moving on to chapters 35 and 36. We're going to start to see the first elements of the tabernacle getting built. And really, it's going to take from this chapter all the way to the end of the book. Uh, the tabernacle is finished in chapter 40. And so we've got just these six chapters here that are going to get us to the end of the book. And that's going to happen today. Um, this hour and two more teaching sessions after this will get us through the end of, uh, of Exodus. Alright, before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time and truth. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You once again, thankful for Your grace and faithfulness, thankful for the truth of Your Word, and thankful, Father, no matter how quickly we're racing through the Bible, Father, Your Holy Spirit is right there with us, opening our eyes, opening our ears, and softening our hearts. We thank you for the big picture that you provide in, in a, through the Bible format, whereby, Father, we do get the height and the width, we get the, the breadth of your Word. And, Father, uh, we pray that you continue to bless this study, that we would have a, a Genesis to Revelation framework upon which to return when we do return to the in-depth, verse-by-verse, word-by-word study. Just thank you for the big picture and for blessing our time in, in your truth. We thank you we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Tabernacle Construction. And so this is where the redundant uh redundancy is repeated. All right, because we had chapters of instructions. Now we're with gory detail, now we're going to have chapters of construction again with the same gory detail, and it gets repeated, and the repetition is instructive. The repetition is edifying. The details are significant and we cannot ignore them. Or we ignore them at our at our peril. So Moses is going to introduce uh, the tabernacle, he's going to uh, address Israel concerning these plans that have been given to him. While they were down there fornicating and having the, the, the idolatry of the golden calf, he was up on the mountain receiving the blueprints of this tabernacle, and now it's time for them to learn what uh, what it's all about. So Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. And they got a huge assignment in front of them. Building this tabernacle you might think that they would be you know, busy trying to get it done in a hurry to get it finished. That they might be tempted to go ahead and work seven days a week until it was done. And God says not so fast. Six days a week you're going to do the work. The seventh day is the Sabbath day and you are going to rest on that day. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Then we have the funding for this tabernacle that's going to be mentioned here. Moses spoke to all the congregations of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze. It goes on in these uh, these other items as well. It's not just the precious metals. Blue and purple and scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair. Ram skins, dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, and oil for lighting and spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and, and setting stones for the ephod and for the breast piece. So all of these materials have to be assembled, and they're going to be assembled by grace giving. They're going to be assembled by free will contributions as your heart moves you, as God moves your heart. And so he's instructing in this uh, ambitious building project by admonishing them about keeping the Lord's Sabbath and then by describing the funding entirely by volitional grace giving. These financial grace gifts. Gifts of money and gifts of time. Gifts of skill. The financial gifts were given, but also the time is given by those with the skill for, for doing the building. And we're going to observe the craftsmen in particular that God invests with spiritual wisdom. God invests upon them the capacity to, to construct this tabernacle in a glorious way. And so that's what he's going to get done here. All right. Special temporary spiritual gifts were bestowed. And we're going to see this. In fact, it's going to come up as we, as we deal with these gifted uh, people. We'll get that down in verses 30 through 35. Yes, financial gifts are given, we have the details on those, and then the gifts of time were given by those with skill. So, all these materials, verse 10 says, Let every skillful man among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So this is where Pastor Bob was excluded, because I am not skillful in anything resembling anything with a tool in hand. All right. In fact, there's probably a Hebrew footnote in there saying, leave, leave Pastor Bob completely away from this project. The tabernacle, its tent, its coverings, its hooks and boards, its bars, pillars and sockets, the ark and its poles, the mercy seat, the curtains and the screens, the table and its poles, all the utensils, the bread of the presence. Do you remember all this? We read every last bit of this last week in the earlier chapters when the instructions were being given. So nothing should be new in uh, in these chapters here today. The table and its poles, all the utensils, the bread of the presence. The lampstand also for the light and its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense and its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. What was all the poles about? Remember? So that they can carry these furnishings through the desert as they're breaking camp and as they're traveling. They can't be touching the holiness of these objects. So the poles allow them to be carried. The altar of burnt offerings with its bronze grating, its poles, its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court its pillars, its sockets, and the screens for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the woven garments for ministering in the holy place. Aaron and his sons have to have the precise robes that were designed and all of the material and all of the colors and all of the uh, the embroidery and all of the design. God has stipulated every last bit of this. So the garments for Aaron and the priests and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Then all of the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence, and everyone whose heart stirred him. And I think this is useful as well, because it's one thing if a speaker is up there preaching, and the you know the enthusiasm is going, everybody gets all excited and convicted, and they just want to jump up and you know give money and volunteer for missions and all the all the stuff that happens. But then when they get home, that's usually when the the regret comes in, or the second thought, or the eh, you know. But not in this case. In this case, as they departed from Moses and they returned to their camp, they returned to their tents, and still the hearts were stirring. Everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting for all its service and the holy garments. And so this is very much the subjective experience of believers that have been under doctrinal teaching and are now reflecting upon what they've heard and they're listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit as far as how He would guide them subjectively in the in the following days. It is a very subjective experience. And every one of us knows this and uh, we should not be uh, cringing from this uh, When when God's the one that's stirring the heart, when the Spirit's the one that's moving, pay attention. This is part of divine guidance. So all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets and articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord." What's really sad though is that actually some of their gold is depleted already because they wasted a bunch of it on that golden calf back in chapter 32. And you and start to consider what are the ongoing consequences of past sin. Well, it may be diminished opportunity for future fruit bearing because of, of the foolishness that, that uh, you know, wasted all that, those resources back in the day. Nevertheless, what they have remaining, they are giving freely in their grace presenting an offering of gold to the Lord. Also, not just the, the, the metals, like I say, blue and purple and scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, and porpoise skins brought them. Sometimes porpoises get mocked because they're in the desert, but actually it was very much a, a, a commodity that was traded in Egypt and the neighboring lands. Uh, obviously the, the porpoises weren't in the desert, but they were hunted in the, in the seas and then they were, their skins were marketable after that. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought the Lord's contribution and every man who had in his possession acacia wood for any work of service brought it. This acacia wood is is vital and we've seen it in several of the descriptions of the furnishings. Usually it was acacia wood overlaid with gold in, uh, in these descriptions. Also the skilled women, right? not just skilled workmen, skilled women spun with their hands and brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet material and in fine linen. Also the women whose hair, heart stirred with a skill spun the goat's hair. I hope some of this is on video. I'd I like to actually see some of this. The rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for setting the ephod and for the breastpiece. What the high priest would be wearing with that ephod was extraordinary. And the, and the stones that were mounted in that breastpiece were, were uh, that, that's a lot of money in that, in that outfit that he's wearing the spice and the oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. God even gave them specific recipes for the perfume, for the anointing oil and for the incense that's to be burned on the altar of incense. We talked about that last uh, Wednesday and Thursday night. So the Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring material for all the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a freewill offering to the Lord. Alright, so we see these verses for what they are. We need to be mindful of them and we also need to be mindful of how sometimes they can be abused and we need to be cautious related to that. If God is moving you, well then God bless you. Do, do as God moves you. But very frequently uh, believers are, are fond of saying, well God is leading me to do this and, and you're saying, really? You know, Is that just your throwaway line to make me stop talking to you? <laughs> like when you're giving the gospel to an unbeliever and he says, oh yeah, I'm saved and he just wants you to go away. Alright? Likewise, when you're talking to a, uh, to a brother or sister and they, they, uh, they're not making the application that maybe they should be making, um, in any event, you're trying to counsel, you're trying to give wisdom, you're trying to coach, and you're trying to, to keep them from a pitfall. Okay, uh, Like maybe they're on the verge of marrying an unbeliever. I mean, you know, wait a minute, that's not biblical. God says don't do this. And so you're coaching them and you're shepherding them. And then they say, well, God spoke to me. He laid it on my heart. This is my new ministry. He's opened a door of ministry, and and really, it's it's just it, it's it's used as a way to just shut you up and say, "Go away. You can't argue with God, right?" You know. Although sometimes I'm tempted, you know. Sometimes I'm tempted because I, I don't believe them for a minute when they say God did not tell you to marry the unbeliever. I mean, I, just, I know that for a fact. Okay. But if you're going to just give me this throwaway line, expecting me to put up with it and go away, well then. I can, I can make stuff up too. you know. God told me to punch you in the nose. How about that? You know? Not that I would really do such a thing, but I think about it. <laughs> only because, only because that, well, God laid it on my heart. Okay? It gets abused. And, and the reason why I hate it so much is because as it gets abused, I think it diminishes from the real places where it should be. Appropriate where it should be applicable, when 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 a flock is being tested in something, and we have clear Bible teaching on it, and then when when circumstances come, and when when an event takes place, and when when there is the real leading of the Lord, praise God, and we're all going to have the similar leading. We're all going to have like-mindedness, intent on one spirit, united in purpose, and that's a glorious thing, and that's what I find is the saddest thing of all. When because of the abuse, I think it sometimes diminishes the real cases where it happens also by the way i know academic types that are so intellectual in their christian walk that they reject this totally that if it's not written in the bible it's not the will of god and that they refuse to listen to anything of the leading of the heart or anything of the of the uh, the still small voice of the holy spirit because they are so intellectually academic about the uh, the text itself they, I guess they're fearful of turning Pentecostal or something. They're, they're fearful of something you know, that crosses into the, the more charismatic spectrum of, of our brethren. Okay? And by the way, did you read the newsletter? We are in a holiness section of our hymnal that we don't usually sing out of. And so just get used to it and, and we'll be blessed by it. And we may have some discussion over lunch about what is this fire that keeps falling? How the fire fell. Okay? Let's talk about that at lunch but first we've got to teach these two chapters. So gifts of uh, financial gifts are given, gifts of time are given, and then gifted believers are lifted up. So, Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring material for the Lord, for the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. And so that means other believers didn't if God didn't move them, okay? Carnal believers certainly wouldn't, uh, Is God going to work through a carnal believer? Is God going to work through an unbeliever? See, I don't believe every Jewish person that walked through the Red Sea had eternal life. I believe that any number of, of Jewish people that walked through the Red Sea were physically saved from Egypt, but they don't have eternal life. How about that? Did they give contributions to the temple? I don't think so. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit would have moved them in that regard. But everyone who did move them and so that's, that's a glorious thing. You cannot beat grace. Grace giving is amazing. I point to that little box in the back of the room, and I love the grace box that we have at this church. And I, I point out that, that tiny little box right back there, and I tell folks, I say, you know what? That's the box this building came in. Okay? Because it's, uh, it's grace. It's all grace. Alright, then we get to verses 30 and following. And here's a principle. We taught this the other night I want to stress it again. Special, temporary spiritual gifts were bestowed for the building of the tabernacle. It's not usually thought of in terms of a spiritual gift, but I don't know what else you would call it. It's the Holy Spirit sent from God to endow believers with special ability for a special purpose. Now today we have pastors and evangelists and, and the gift of giving and the gift of helps, and we've, we've taught the doctrine of spiritual gifts from a church-age perspective, because that's where spiritual gifts are normally taught. In the Old Testament, though, things were different. Not every believer had a spiritual gift. Not every believer had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But a handful of believers were, such as the prophets, such as the judges. Uh, Samson received the Holy Spirit, for example, and tremendous physical strength that went with that. Well, these spiritual gifts, uh, I call them the spiritual gifts of tabernacle building. And the spiritual gifts of tabernacle building includes carpentry and stonework and gold work and metal work and bronze work and all the details here. It includes uh, tailoring and seamstress work. It includes perfuming. Just a, a whole assortment of skills that went into building this, this tabernacle. So Moses said to the sons of Israel, see the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. So we know his name, his house, his clan, and his tribe. Remember, this, this, th- th- these things are, are vital in the Old Testament patriarchal culture. He has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all craftsmanship to make designs for working in gold and silver and bronze, in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood as to perform every inventive work. And so every inventive work, everything that's, that's done with the hands to, to craft and shape things, and, and whereas most craftsmen actually specialize and wood guys are great with wood and crummy with stone and stone guys might be great with stone and, and crummy with wood and, and you know gold guys and bronze guys and silver guys, whatever the case may be. And they may have to do part of it themselves and then outsource to other people that are better at that skill set. But not with Bezalel. Bezalel could do everything, absolutely everything with all materials because he's going to be the general contractor for this project. And then Aholiab is going to be his foreman. And uh, Aholiab is also set apart. Put in his heart to teach, both he and Aholiab, the son of Asamach of the tribe of Dan. Again, family, clan, and tribe. This is Dan making a contribution now. One of the few things we see coming any good from the, the tribe of Dan is, uh, is, is Aholiab. He has filled them with skill to perform every work of an engraver and of a designer and of an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet material. Of course, purple's the best. We all know that. And in fine linen of a weaver as a performer, uh, perf- uh, performers of every work and makers of designs. And so when we think about these temporary spiritual gifts, I find it useful. I like to use these chapters to illustrate. Just the concept of a temporary spiritual gift. Because nobody gets the gift of tabernacle builder today. Right? It's not in our notebook. If you're praying about your spiritual gift, rule that one right out. Okay? Uh, You you don't have it. Nobody does. God doesn't give that gift to anybody today because no one needs it today. the, The tabernacle is done. That's in the past. The temple is done. That's in the past. There's a new one coming, but that's not our job. Okay? So we have pastors and evangelists, and, and like I say, there's 20 church-age gifts, 11 of which are permanent. Nine of them were temporary. And that's a concept that our charismatic friends can't accept. They, they label us as cessationists, they call us names, and um, of course they don't call themselves names, they, they, they think they're on track with their continuation of those spiritual gifts. Uh, but I call them, well, I call them my charismatic brothers, okay? I love them, they're going to be in heaven forever, but here's the thing, they're still laying a foundation 2,000 years later, and that's insane. You don't lay the foundation more than once, and you don't lay the foundation longer than is necessary. Once the foundation is laid, then you put a building on it. And the purpose for the temporary gifts of the church age, prophet, miracles, tongues, healings, uh, apostle, all those temporary gifts were for the laying of the foundation and that, that vocabulary itself tells you it's temporary. It tells you it's not permanent. And we know that it, that it all passed in the first century. It ceased. That's why we're cessationists. All right. But here's the example of Bezalel and Aholiab and uh, their spiritual giftedness, which is obviously a temporary spiritual gift, not valid today. Obviously, the spiritual gifts of tabernacle building will no longer be given once the tabernacle is built. I mean, it's a no-brainer. How many arks have been built since Noah's flood, Right? He equipped Noah to build the ark and that was a one and done deal. And there's been no more since then other than, you know, replicas and things, tourist attractions in Kentucky. Obviously. So now the correlation to that, okay? Since D is obvious, E should also be obvious. The spiritual gifts of church building, they also are gone. Apostle, prophet, miracles, healing, tongues... 1 Corinthians 12, 28-31 talks about when the perfect comes, the partial is done away. They're gone. There's no need to keep building a foundation. They've not been given since the church was established. Ephesians 2.20 These gifts were meant to be temporary and pass away with the completion of the canon of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 and 10. And if you want more on that, I can give you the 1 Corinthians notebook. We spelled it out in glorious detail on why the perfect coming is the canon of Scripture. It's not the second advent of Jesus Christ. Okay? For the second advent of Jesus Christ, that's not, when tongues will, that's not when tongues will cease. That's not when prophecy will cease. In fact, the second advent is going to have a revival of, of prophecy. For the millennial kingdom, there's going to be prophecy throughout. The second advent is the trigger of when prophecy begins. It's not the trigger of when prophecy ends. That's the short version on that. All right, let's go to chapter 36. Volitional grace giving when accomplished by God-fearing believers with their hearts stirred is an amazing sight. It is just an amazing sight to behold. And not only could Israel testify to that in the wilderness, Austin Bible Church can testify to that, with the, uh, the grace of God that not only built this building, but then paid for it in, uh, in spite of all the hostility of the city that was brought against us. In spite of how many times the city kept boosting our budget and kept increasing that ditch out front with the water quality and, and all the other things they did, God provided Jehovah Jireh. <clears throat> so, crossing now into chapter 36. Bezalel and Aholiab, and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill and understanding. We only know of the two by name, but there were many, many more. Okay, And God put the skill, that's the wisdom, and the understanding to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall perform in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And this is why you you see the division of labor. This is where you see the organization and all things being done properly and in order. Moses isn't out there himself trying to pound nails and and build this thing himself. Aaron's not trying to do it. There are the craftsmen that have been assigned this responsibility. So Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill. Everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work, to perform it. So that heart stirring was not only for donations, but it was also for service, For working and you just have that drive when the, when the spirit leads when your heart is stirred up and you have that drive to to come and take part you want to be part of something especially if it's something that's never going to happen again right if, especially if it's something that you know you can tell for your kids and grandkids and i was there i was part of the the tabernacle building generation and this was the part that god blessed me to take part in and this was the this was the thing see like Austin Bible Church can do in the coming years, when when God stirred us to, to have a through the Bible year, and God put it on our heart, and he stirred our heart to read the Bible seven days a week, and to preach seven messages every week from the pulpit, to go through a through the Bible year, our hearts were stirred. They continue to be stirred. And we'll be able to to look back, and, and uh, when somebody asks us, uh, what was that like? What was that like reading the Bible seven days a week? What was that like going to church so much? What was that like? I've never been in a a church that ever did something like that. And you're going to be able to testify. You're going to be able to testify how God stirred your heart and the blessings that it was in in these ways. All right, so God kept stirring the heart and they kept bringing the uh, contributions Yes, grace will always be sufficient. you never you can 't outgive God, you cannot outgive the Lord, and grace is always sufficient. So they received from Moses verse three, they received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work, and they still continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning, and all the skilful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came each from the work which uh, he was performing, and they said to Moses. The people bring much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. All right, This is a nice problem to have, okay? When the treasurer says, we're getting way too much. And Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. And I think some of these guys were working in order to provide right in in a context see what it says let no man perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary that's the people were restrained from bringing any more you know if you think about it there there's plenty of occasions in, in church history and in, in modern history and so forth where there is a need there's a special need there's whatever and so a man decides you know what I'm going to take the next six months, I'm going, to, I'm going to moonlight, I'm going to take an extra job, I'm going to have an evening job. And all of that, 100% of that, the whole purpose for that side gig is to take the, the extra increase and, and to dedicate it to a, to a mission or to a church building or to something else of the sort. Anyway, the contributions were so overwhelming that they had to stop. People were restrained from bringing any more. The material they had was sufficient and more than sufficient, more than enough for all the work to perform it. See, And I've asked my treasurer for this. In fact, at the most recent deacon's meeting, I asked James Randall this, because he's not only our church treasurer, but he's been in, in previous churches as well. Great experience. Has it ever happened where you had to write a letter to the church membership saying, please stop giving for the rest of the year? Okay, And that's never happened yet. In any event, God is faithful. I just love this. This is great. And, and we find this in the Old Testament. We find this under law. So often when we, when we think about the Old Testament, we're thinking about tithing and, and law, and we're thinking about, you know, no grace. They had tons of grace. And they're, they're exercising it here. All right, now we get into the items, the elements of the tabernacle. So all the skillful men among those who were performing the work made the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet material with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. Bezalel made them. And so this is the description we have. And based on this, different artists have come up with artistic renderings and different concepts. Uh, We know the colors. We know some of the artwork. We know cherubim. But what are the cherubim? Are they standing? Are they kneeling? Are they, I mean, How are they positioned? And there's, there's a lot of leeway here for artistic interpretation. And every diagram you ever find is going to exercise that creative license, that leeway, to, uh, to do what they do when they're, uh, when they're drawing it out, when they're drawing their pictures, when they're painting artwork uh, on the tabernacle. And really, I think that's what Bezalel was doing. That's what Aholiab was doing. They had a framework. They had instructions. And within the parameters provided, they, uh, they just made use of the creative talents that God gave them. And they had freedom to do that. They had a lot of freedom to do that. How do I know that? I notice first thing right off the bat. The elements of the tabernacle are constructed in accordance with the uh, blueprints revealed, but notice, not in the actual sequence as instructed. Instructed. They're going to build these furniture uh, furniture items out of order at least out of order that's different from the order that was given in the text when Moses uh, put this text into uh, the book of of exodus. So the first and second items actually constructed the curtains of linen and, and goat's hair those were the first and second items actually constructed. they're described here in verses eight through eighteen. They were actually the fourth and fifth items that were verbally instructed. Does that bother you? you going to lose sleep over it? it? bothers me. I lost sleep over it. Okay? Because the first item they were told to do was the Ark of the Covenant. I'm, I'm waiting for Bezalel to build it. And it doesn't come first. Instead, he's making curtains of goat's hair. And, okay? Not that I'm trying to tell Bezalel what to do. Okay? Or how to do it. He knows what he's doing. But the sequence, we are going to observe the sequence on this. And even if we don't understand it, we're going to observe it. And we're going to think about it. And we're also going to appreciate it, and we're going to make our own applications. When God expects us to take the scriptures, apply wisdom, apply understanding, make some uh, some decisions, using wisdom and skill, consistent with the principles, even if I can't find a specific verse. I just have to stay within the parameters and make the best decision as unto the Lord. So, uh, the skillful man, and they're, they're making these curtains. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits. The width of each curtain, four cubits. The curtains had the same measurements. He joined five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he joined to one another. He made loops, of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. He did likewise on the edge of the curtain that was outermost on the second set. I'll be honest, I got lost five verses ago. Okay, I'm just going to keep reading. These are the details that, that blow my mind. He made 50 loops in the one curtain, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. The loops were opposite each other. He made 50 clasps of gold and joined the curtains to one another with the clasps so the tabernacle was a unit. Alright, So it seems like there were two parts and he clasped them. Something like that. He made curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. And this thing gets built up in various layers. Okay, So there's layers, which is great for heat and coolness and, and different things you want to be layered. And they're going to be layered and they're going to have a waterproof layer over the top. Different things there. All right. So the length of each curtain was 30 cubits. Four cubits the width of each curtain. The 11 curtains had the same measurements. He joined five curtains by themselves, the other six curtains by themselves. Moreover, he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was outermost. In the first set, made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was outermost in the second set. made 50 clasped bronze to join the tent together so that it would be a unit. He made covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering of porpoise skins above. And so the rams and the porpoises put together over top, waterproof. All right, so that gets us down through verse 18. So the first and second items actually constructed were the fourth and fifth items verbally instructed. And so the sequence is different. And God is not... Jumping all over them and saying, why are you doing this out of order? I told you to make the Ark of the Covenant first. The order is not specific, but the details for each item are specific. And God's relaxed about it. He's not, you know, pitching a fit over the the out-of-order items. The third item constructed, the covering of ram skins and porpoise skins, that was verse 19 we just read, was the sixth item as instructed. So if you got a checklist of items instructed, they've now done number four, number five, number six. By the time we have the two curtains and the, the, the porpoise covering. Then uh, the boards, bases, and bars. Remember the boards, bases, and bars? We, we uh, They're called sockets in, uh, in some of the translations, but uh, bases keeps them all with Bs. So you have boards and bases and bars. And uh, those instructions were given... They were the seventh item when the instructions were given back in chapter 26. Now in chapter 36, they're the fourth item that is constructed. Verses 20 through 34. So he made the boards for the tabernacle of acacia wood standing upright. And, and these, are, these are forming the walls. Okay, And, and they've got to be in pieces because they've got to be disassembled every time they move. This uh, this is a uh, you know a portable temple that gets built and rebuilt and, and torn apart and and transported every time they move. So ten cubits was the length of each board and one and a half cubits the width of each board. There were two tenons or tenons tenons for each board fitted to one another. Thus he did for all the boards of the tabernacle. Ooh ooh ooh! I know what this is. This somebody told me. Robert told me. Somebody told me. This is where they can fit in, you know, wood fits into woods and you're not pounding nails, right? So it's like a tongue and groove, whatever, kind of socket wood thing. Am I right? All right. (laughs) I tell you. Like a drawer, drawer. okay, yeah. I am so on the verge of getting fired right now. This is just, this is not my expertise. This is not my realm of, of anything. All right. So he made the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side. He made 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under one board for its two tenons, and two sockets under the other board for its two tenons. Then the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, he made 20 boards. All right? That way they match they're equal length. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board, two sockets under another board. I thought he said that already. Yes, he said that already. There's there is redundancy and repetition again and again and again and again. That's where you know you you measure twice, cut once. I mean, you're you got all of the all of the precision in uh, in this uh, process for the rear of the tabernacle to the west. He made six boards, made the two boards for the corner of the tabernacle at the rear. They were double beneath and together they were complete to its top to the first ring. Thus he did with both of them for the two corners. There were eight boards with their sockets or their bases of silver, 16 sockets, two under every board. Now notice we have all this detail. What do we not have? We don't have theology. Okay, We will, we will apply theology later. We will apply theology elsewhere. Exodus does not give us the theology. You're not going to find a verse here that says the silver of the socket represents the purity of believers who are walking in fellowship or whatever whatever, okay? That's never in any of these passages. And yet you can find books and curriculum and material where they'll they'll walk you through the the tabernacle and give you all the theology of the tabernacle. Okay? And in part, I love it. I mean, I think it's great because I like talking about Jesus and, and typically the, the theology they create and connect to the tabernacle is all about Jesus and it should be. But when they're creating that theology and attaching it to the, to the tabernacle, they're actually doing something the text itself does not do. And I want to be clear on that. And just as a word of caution, because I've seen some that were so precise, even the pegs had, there's the theology of the pegs Okay, and the little tie-down ropes. And every, every nth degree, and I'm like, you know, is my Bible missing some chapters here? Where are they finding that stuff? And, and so, it's just, a, and I'm not trying to be critical, and I'm, not, and, and I'm not trying to break your heart if you have a, a favorite tabernacle book that you've loved it for years, okay? Please, keep loving it for more years to come. Just notice what I'm saying here. We have 16 sockets, two under every board, and the, the text is not giving us the theology for silver sockets. Okay. The bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle. Five bars for the boards in the tabernacle for the rear side to the west. And he made the middle bar to pass through in the center of the boards from end to end. He overlaid the boards with gold and made the rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. I expect each one of these must have been heavy, which is why they had to disassemble it and carry it in pieces. Because the, the total thing would be just impossible for humans to carry around. All right, that gets us down through verse 34. The boards, bases, and bars. They were item 4 as constructed, but item 7 as instructed. Then we have the inner and outer veils. Items 5 as constructed, item 8 as instructed. So essentially when we finish this chapter, we will have covered items 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Those are the five things that get built here in Exodus 36. So the veils... He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet material. It's fine twisted linen. He made with a cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. What does that mean? He made it with cherubim. Well, I think it means that the cherubim figures were embroidered somehow on the the curtains, embroidered somehow on the veil. Or, he made with cherubim. Did, Did a couple of angels show up to help make these things? Okay, that, you could read it like that. He made them with the cherubim. Now, I don't think we want to read it like that. How else could we read it? Okay, there could be other cherubim. And, and is, it, is it just one massive cherub in each panel? Or is it a dozen cherubim in, in every panel? Are they, Do they make a little row across the bottom? And I've seen some very decorative ones that have cherubim and then have pomegranates and then have these other things. And, and very... Uh, you know, the problem is, is when 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 you give this over to a, to a graphics artist department to try to come up with something, they're, they're winging it too. They're using their own imagination, their own creativity, their own sense of aesthetics, their own sense, okay? And by the way, what does a cherubim even look like? Okay, you know, many of them have bull's faces, but not all, okay? Many cherubim, in fact, we've got some with eagle faces, lion faces, man faces... We got different, uh, four wings, right? Pretty consistently, two wings, four wings. Not a seraphim. Seraphim have six wings. All right. (laughs) So, uh, here are the veils the work of a skillful workman. He made four pillars of acacia for it and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold, and he cast four sockets of silver for them. These hooks and these sockets—they're huge because you got to—you got to unhook them when it's time to pack them up and move. He made a screen for the doorway of the tent—a blue, purple, scarlet material. This is where you got to—I don't know—you got to pay attention to the vocabulary. Sometimes the word is translated as screen, sometimes it's veil, sometimes it's curtain, sometimes it's gate, sometimes it's door. Okay, and and a lot of times the the vocabulary gets kind of loose in some of the applications, and that that bothers my uh, my uh, OCD. All right or my CDO, as the case may be. So he made a screen for the doorway of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver. And he made its five pillars with their hooks, and he overlaid their tops and their bands with gold, but their five sockets were of bronze. All right, so that finishes chapter 36. Wow. Wow. We're in good shape. We can have an extended communion. Because that is, uh, we're just covering 35 and 36. When we come back after lunch, we'll have 37 through 39, and then we'll have 39 and 40, plus a chapter in Numbers. and, uh, And then we will be done with Exodus, but that will be after lunch. All right, well then let's take some time. This means we can have an extended communion. This is good. Let's um, let's close with prayer. We'll sing a hymn, and then we'll have extra time for communion today. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for this class. I thank you for these materials. And uh, Father, what we understand, we understand. What we don't, we don't. But the biggest takeaway we have, Father, is how involved you are. You are absolutely involved and you are giving your instructions. You are giving your parameters and you have a vested interest in how you are approached. And Father, we, we, are, uh, we come away very clearly recognizing that you are involved intimately with all of the nitty gritty, all of the details. And if we think we can just come before you based on what we want, if we think we can come before you in open defiance of what you've prescribed, Father, we are wrong. We we approach you on your terms, or we don't approach at all. And so, Father, these details are are still valuable for us today as we study to show ourselves approved, as we learn our own applications, Father. And I thank you for uh, recording these things in the Bible and giving them to us for all eternity. We give you the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.